Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and a little bit from around the world as well. Remember, we have many ways of getting the show. You can download directly from our website at techcentral.ie. Use a smartphone podcast app. There's Apple Podcasts, of course, or turn us on every Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Joining me, as always, is our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson and Tech Central Towers. And Niall, uh, I, I particularly, and I think everybody in the country, is having a little celebration uh, this week. Do you think? Uh, you more so than me. Me more um, so because I've even got celebration music. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I'll That's down. quite enough of that for one day, I think. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> from today onwards, thanks to our political friends in the European Union, there are no more Euro roaming charges on your mobile phone. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very happy about that. <clears throat> uh, okay, well, let's. Uh, shall we temper it, or do you want to to give the the propaganda spiel? I'm not giving any propaganda spiel uh, at all. Do you know where it was most annoying was when you would be going to the UK for the day, or even if you were going into Northern Ireland. Yeah, and I'm sure people around the border will absolutely love this move. Uh, and then if you're going on holidays, there was always we've we've done many shows about the best way to get data and how to use your phone when you're abroad. Uh, nowadays, uh, you don't need to do that thanks to no roaming. You see, it's kind of Irish and foreign at the same yeah, time. My little yeah. music, yeah, you're fed yeah. up with it now, aren't you? <laughs> I was fed up with it when I heard it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, yes, uh, so no more roaming. Uh, very happy with that uh, for anybody who does traveling or and going on the holidays. And essentially what it means is that you can use your mobile phone uh, in Europe the same way you would use it in Ireland. So, for example, all right, I've got a, an unlimited package, so I pay whatever it is, 35 quid a month, right? And for that, I can call any number in Ireland and I can text any number in Ireland. It means that when I go away... If I'm in France or if I'm in Germany or Italy or wherever it happens to be, I can call any number in Ireland. I can text any number in Ireland for this for free because it's included in my package. And the same with my data. If I've got one gig of data or four gigs of data, I can happily use it exactly the same as I would at home. Uh, the other good thing is that when you are away, they treat calls within Europe the same as home calls while you're away. Mm-hmm. So I've actually got some better news for you. Oh my goodness! It could it possibly could it possibly get any better? Uh, oh, go on. Okay, I'll, I'll hold on uh, to the music and see if it's good enough. Your data allowance, um, because an awful lot. This was a, a cause of a lot of heartache a, a couple of weeks ago when it emerged that uh, all you can eat data um, when you go abroad is not actually all you can eat. That there's a cap on it. Yeah. Um, and the cap is five point five gigs, but that's your cap. So what's your current gig? Uh, well, yeah, currently it's four gigs for me. So, yeah, well, you will you will have a little bit of a bonus. Ah, so you could use up to five gigs, even though you're only yeah. on four gigs. Ah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the ceiling that's out there. Ah. So there was also a um, maybe not a caveat, but just sort of a, a rule in there that when this measure was initially announced was that uh, yep, roam like home, go forth, do do what you want to do. 
um, Caltex data, of course, they reined in on the, the data bit when they discovered that mm. not everybody's infrastructure is uh, capable of supporting, say, all-you-can-eat data. Um, say, if you go on holiday to somewhere with a particularly bad network infrastructure, you, A, aren't going to get the quality of service that you want, and B, you, because of contention, you're going to be impacting on everybody else's quality of service. So that's why there's still um, that data cap in there as opposed to all-you-can-eat. But with the first time this... Um, uh, was announced in Europe as part of the, the digital single market. The idea was that Roam Like Home would only apply for 40 days in the year and not consecutive for 40 consecutive days. Mm. Okay. So it was sort of for people, you know, maybe they're on business trips or whatever, maybe specifically for business. Right? You're not spending long periods of time. You're sort of over and back, over and back, you know, weekend here, a couple of days there. That was kind of the idea behind it. It was more of a business initiative than a tourist one. However, um, that 40 days is now gone. It's now sort of, uh, it's been replaced by a semi-mealy-mouthy kind of uh, fair use policy, um, which I guess is open to interpretation by whatever your operator happens to be. But for the moment, um, this, the, the whole 40-day rule is gone. Wow. So uh, so we have uh, nothing but good news for, for everybody, because I was thinking that in the back of my head about people who would be flying to London regularly. And many people, I mean, many people work in London during the mm. week and, and come home on a Thursday night or Friday night or whatever. And they're in Ireland. Well, what do those heads do? So uh, so that's all good. But anyway, so we start off with uh, good news. Uh, no more roaming. I won't bother doing the music again. I don't want to annoy you. Um, <laughs> uh, but we have some not so good news today. And I'm actually quite surprised with this a little bit. And it's all to do with the quality of broadband in Ireland. Yes, a survey just was released there this week by uh, Switcher.ie, which is the price comparison website that we're all familiar with. This was an online survey of a thousand consumers um, aged 18 and above. So this is, you know, actual uh, broadband customers, if you will. And um, they do this survey every year. So uh, some of the headline results that have that have come out, I think, will be a surprise to you. Um, the, the one they lead with is that 44% of consumers are unhappy with their broadband connection, which is OK. You can park that to one side and say, yeah, people like to whinge. But this is actually down 7% on last year when just over half said they were happy. Um, so maybe people are waking up to the quality of their broadband or they're realising that they can't do things they thought they would be able to do. Or maybe there's more devices in their household that are putting strain on their uh, connectivity. But um, so, OK, the top line figure is people are slightly less impressed than they were. But let's also look at people's expectations as well. Because, uh, as we all know, the government um, national broadband plan is eventually going to arrive. I mean, it's a couple of years late at this stage. But one of the things that they promised was a minimum connection of 30 megs or access to a minimum connection of 30 megs. They're not going to, like, show up at your door and go, ha here's brilliant broadband. Um, no, they're going to go, look... You have a choice. You can, and one of these, at least one of these operators, at least will will fulfill this um, for you. So, thirty percent, thirty four percent of people, sorry, um, are under uh, thirty megs. So they're they're not getting what they should. Eight percent of people out there who can get broadband are still under three megs. Under three megs. That's not mm. even enough to watch HD. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's get into some some of the uh, consumer-ish elements, sort of uh, slightly outside what people can get. Thirty nine percent don't know what broadband speed they they know they're meant to be getting. So, and I think there's reasons for this, right? Uh, one because, of which because not everybody is like us. <laughs> well, yeah, 
speed test uh, app first thing that goes on the phone well yes <laughs> that, that that is very true actually whether it's ookla or even just dial internet speed test into google I know, they, but can, you, can you imagine either of our partners like the first thing that they'll do is a speed test i mean if i'm staying in a hotel or i'm in a restaurant even in a train station if there's free wi-fi it's like i wonder how fast it is oh god i get that at home all the time yeah all the time uh you know it's it's it becomes a little bit of an obsession it's it's like tweeting or something you know when somebody retweets you, you just be. get this little bump you know anyway but so 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 lots of people don't know even know what lots kind of, of people don't even know what they're getting but 42 percent are just assuming they're getting what they paid for so if if somebody thinks that oh i can watch my netflix i'm happy netflix doesn't even require one meg uh to actually work you know, on the on the standard definition level, similar with YouTube. So, you know, you could be getting a fraction of a fraction of what you're meant to be getting. But if you think if you're able to do what you can do, as far as you're concerned, you're, you're getting what you want. Um, on the subject of, of speed tests, 60 percent of those polls said they never carried out a speed test. Yeah, well, that just goes back to what we're saying because they they just don't care. They're they're told by the company you've got fifty megs. They don't know what that means. Why would they check? Yeah, yeah. Because I suppose, as far as we're concerned, or rather, as far as most consumers are concerned, what what does fifty megs look like? Exactly. <laughs> or how fast is it? Or and and they say, I love the description they give. You can download a movie in thirty seconds. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Fine. You know, it all depends on where in the internet yeah, you're taking it from and whether it's legal or illegal or so many other things, not anything to do with the broadband speed you have. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. And he, here's a stat. I think this is the, the last one, really, that we'll, that we'll mention. But um, this is a stat that will make a lot of people's blood boil. The average connection speed in Ireland is 68 megs compared to 82 megs last year. The average connection in Ireland is 68 megs. I know a lot of people that if I was to say that to, they would punch me in the face. They would. They would. Um, I've, I've, wow. I'm, I'm, you're making me realize how lucky I am because we have Virgin Media at home. And uh, I, I yeah. remember being at a, a talk where, when they were at UPC and the, uh, the managing director of uh, UPC at the time was a Scottish guy. And he said, we're actually getting compliments about our... <laughs> About our internet speeds. It's not often that we get compliments. <laughs> um, but I have well, to say, this, Virgin this Media... what happens. What, what I was going to say was Virgin Media, uh, yeah. I have, and they tell me it's 250. I've, I've, I, think, I don't think speedtest.net goes that fast. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting like 100 megs and higher regularly. And uh, I've been, when I've been traveling around the world in Australia and across Europe and then Hong Kong, Hong Kong was the only place that got close to it where I got 90 megs down. Mm. That's that's it. Just just goes to show that there can be excellent infrastructure in Ireland. So I think, being but that's what I'm saying. I think it's there, <clears throat> but it's only in in Dublin because I'm based in Dublin, and uh, and that's where Virgin Media stronghold would be, or in the cities. But once when you get down to Athlone, or you know, I live you know forty miles uh, from Galway out to the west, then you're in trouble. This is it because market forces are behind so much of yep. the excellent connectivity that's out there. Yep, Dublin, Dublin being sorted out first, that's fine. But we are seeing the likes of um, Cyro selling on their services to regional broadband providers. Um, they they were looking at gigabit connections. Well, so, there you go. I think uh, I do think yes, it is. Uh, people are unhappy and things are slow, I and mean, we really really need to sort out the rural situation but in the metropolitan situations I think Ireland is a shining example uh, on the entire planet about how it can be done when you get the infrastructure right listen uh, we're just running out of time because I want to get into the interview for this week but tell me about the uh, the Xbox this week 
Yeah, well, uh, E3 was this week, and uh, this is one of the big annual gaming shows. And uh, one of the big reveals was uh, Microsoft's Xbox One X, which is their latest console, um, a semi-follow-on from the Xbox One. I mean, it, one of the main, main uh, features that are quite nice about it is backwards compatibility. So apparently you'll, you'll be able to play games all the way back to the very first Xbox uh, on the Xbox One X, which Brilliant. is kind of funky. Um, also, you know, uh, it, it had the... the codename project scorpio for the last year or so and one of the things they were really pushing from it was 4k gaming um you know the very big on high how high dynamic range television um and ultra high definition so 4k is a big um big selling point of it also it's got a uh, it's got a smashing selection of games coming out with it. i think it's got 42 games coming out 22 exclusives so in the same way you know kind of different to the nintendo switch where it launched with a, a zelda title that everybody loved but not that many extra i mean the xbox one x is just it's explo- exploding at you with games uh, so that that's a really good thing but is this is this what you want as a gamer is, is this unit making you salivate well, it depends what, you know, I, some, of, some of the game footage, I mean, what, there's a, a launch title coming out called Anthem and it does look stunning. Uh, and when it gets to the stage where games are looking like movies, uh, then I'm delighted. You know, this is this is something I'm certainly interested in. Will I go out and fork out the, I think, $400 to start with, which means we'll get fleeced and have to pay €400. Euro. Um Hmm. I won't be first in line. Uh, put it that way. But, <laughs> okay. um, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, listen. There we go. So, uh, uh, I, I think that's all pretty good news uh, with the roaming and also with the broadband. Uh, a lot of people unhappy, but a lot of people happy. And uh, Niall has his eye on a new Xbox. So, uh, all is good in the world. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. Now, for our interview this week, if I was to tell you that in the future we were we're going to get our energy from pencils and that the screen on your mobile phone was also the battery, you would think I was off my head crazy. Uh, well, no, the future is thinking of things like this, very kind of Star Trekky kind of stuff. And somebody who is uh, very much involved in this whole thing, I, I had listened to this interview before we came on the air and it just blew my mind, the things this lady was saying. So let me just not go any further and introduce Niall with this week's guest. Today I'm speaking with Professor Valeria Nicolosi, who is Principal Investigator at the Amber Centre for Materials Research. And uh, we've been out here before. Uh, last year we interviewed uh, Michael Morris, who's the, the head of the centre. And there we brought up the subject of graphene, which is something that we're going to be talking a little bit later on in the interview. But uh, Valeria, you, you've had something, you, you've been a bit of a journey person in a sense, uh, in terms of your research career to date. So tell us a little about um, your journey to Trinity and, and back. I guess. Yeah, it's been quite of a journey. Um, I'm Italian from Sicily, uh, a little Ireland uh, in the south of Italy. I graduated there in chemistry and I moved to Dublin back in 2003 to pursue a PhD in physics in Trinity College. So that's where the journey really started, where I started developing as a young scientist. Uh, when I finished my PhD, I decided to move uh, thanks to the opportunity of a, of a fellowship sponsored by the European Union. I moved to the University of Oxford, where uh, shortly afterwards I became a lecturer 
And uh, there I had the opportunity to explore different aspects of science and nanotechnology. Uh, eventually, I moved back as a professor uh, in Trinity College Dublin in 2012. Um, and that's where I still am. So it's, it's been, yes, a, a sort of a, of a journey. I, I suppose uh, science doesn't have boundaries. Uh, and the point of sort of developing or beginning your education in uh, in Trinity, how portable do you find science degrees are? Because uh, in some professions, people sort of get locked into the assumption that, you know, they'll be training, they'll be working within Ireland. But the, the sciences in academia seem to be quite portable in that respect. Oh, absolutely. Science, as I said before, has got no boundaries. It's completely portable. In fact, if you're pursuing an academic career, uh, moving to uh, different cultures and understanding how science and research uh, are running in different countries is actually a very valuable aspect and something that you where you actually learn a lot uh, so it's extremely beneficial and and uh, highly recommended in fact uh, I suppose let's just move on to your area of interest, which um, uh, material science, where we're going to be talking about something very specific. But uh, in general terms, you're kind of interested in energy and energy storage. Now, we work in, a, um, I guess climate is almost an awkward way to put it, but uh, in an age where we're looking at fossil fuels and we're looking at renewables and the relationships between the two. But always there's this uh, kind of ongoing understanding with renewables that, you know, the wind turbine is going to be going and the energy goes into the the grid and that's it that's great um however there is the the persistent problem of what happens when the turbines aren't turning or the waves are a little bit quieter than there should be so is this where the the problem of renewables sort of comes to a head Absolutely. Uh, you have to think that whatever renewable source you're actually thinking about, whether that is the wind, the sun, uh, the sea, the waves, uh, this is not continu- continuous energy that it's uh, it's actually produced. Uh, wind doesn't blow all the time. Sun doesn't shine all the time. Uh, waves are actually not present all the time. So we have to find a way to being able to store this energy when it's available and use it whenever one needs it. Uh, and unfortunately, the technology at the moment is not there. So when we're looking at things, I, I, I guess it's it's almost a, uh, a new way of looking at fossil fuels, really, that they're, they're not just coal. This is energy stored in a, a burnable form. And the challenge, I suppose, from your perspective, is how to turn renewable energy into a, a reusable form, in it, just to, to store things in a coal-like substance, if you will. Absolutely. I mean, you have to think that, well, British Petroleum came up with this very, very uh, worrying uh, news a couple of years ago that fossil fuels uh, actually are going to last only about 50 years. And afterwards, uh, we're going to be left only with renewable sources. And it's a critical issue to being able to store the energy when these renewable um, means are available uh, we will we will, we need energy all the time our life is continuously relying on energy and uh, we will have serious repercussions if we're not capable of storing this energy and use it when we need it so how are we dealing with the problem of storage at the moment i mean if it's an ongoing problem then i guess efficiency has to be at the center of it we're doing extremely poorly, actually. You can imagine, I always like to give this example because it's kind of why, you know, eyes opening. Um, the best we can currently do is uh, the most efficient battery at the moment is actually located in Alaska. 
this uh, battery occupies um, pretty much half of a football pitch if you think about the area. So this is the largest. It's made of single units. They have to replace every single unit every year because, as you know, after you start using a battery uh, a few times, it starts losing its efficiency. So... uh, you imagine that sort of area occupied by a battery, and in fact, everything is is capable of is providing energy for a town of twelve thousand people for seven minutes. Well, so that that's for something that size. That's not a great return. No, because I mean, if you look at um, at Dublin, in fact, uh, if we if we think about placing a battery of that size in Dublin, that would be just enough to provide energy. Uh, to sustain our life here in the capital uh, for seven seconds. <laughs> so, so we're not going to be at the stage where we're seeing giant batteries in the middle of housing estates or anything like that. So, so what kind of solutions are we looking at? And I know there's one in particular that's very close. Or it kind of is the, the focus of your research at the moment. Yeah, well, we are, we are looking in uh, basically thinking about different materials to be able to power our world, in fact. Uh, the the materials and the battery technology that we are using is still the one that was invented 200 years ago by by Volta, another Italian uh, colleague. Um, so we are kind of uh, locked into uh, a, a technology that was invented couple of centuries ago, while technology has evolved, our energy needs have evolved, uh, and we have to start thinking out of the box. So this is where um, uh, graphene comes in as a, as a substance. I, I guess sort of it's, a, it's been kind of hyped as a new material, uh, something that's actually been with us, but is only being explored uh, right now. So tell us a little bit about graphene. What, where does it come from? Because it actually has quite a, a mundane almost um, way to discover it. Yeah, well, graphene is one of the materials we're looking at. Um, it comes from the most plen- one of the most plentiful materials uh, out there in the world, uh, which is graphite. Uh, graphite is the material that we have in our pencils lead, what allows us to write on pieces of paper and, and so forth. Um, that material that you have there in your pencils lead is actually made of uh, millions of um, layers of carbon basically you can imagine like a very very thick book that is made of loads of pages graphene is obtained when you can isolate one single page out of that book so if you are capable of exfoliating the graphite that you have in your pencils lead down to one layer only that is only thick one atom uh, then you obtain graphene uh, because graphene is so thin, is the thinnest material known to man, um, um, it, it changes its properties quite substantially. So it, it becomes completely different from the raw material it comes from, from graphite. It becomes uh, the material that, it, well, is 100, 300 times stronger than steel, is optically transparent, um, conduces electricity better than copper. So it, it transforms completely exfoliation and, and having isolating uh, the page out of the book that is only one atom thick uh, changes the property of the material quite a lot. And the, the step further that we are engaging within our research is the fact that actually uh, graphite is not the only layered crystal in nature. There are more than 500 of them. And if you can isolate single sheets out of these crystals, um, you obtain materials which, like graphene, have wonderful properties but are very, very suitable for energy storage. 
I always, to non-scientists, I always like to picture these different materials like superheroes, effectively. Each one of them would have a superpower. So some of these materials are extremely robust mechanically. Uh, other ones will be very, very reactive, which is actually something that you like uh, to have in battery materials. Um, some of them are insulating, some of them are semiconductors, some of them are metallic. And here I just named the three building blocks of uh, conventional um, uh, technology, of um, transistor technology and electronics, in fact. Uh, so you actually have materials which come with different flavors, different properties, and you can, in fact, pick and choose the type of material that you like and mix them with them so that you, you make... Um, uh, you take the best of both worlds, in fact, uh, to, to being able to tailor the properties of the device that you're making. So in our batteries, we are not making a battery uh, from one material only or exclusively graphene or another material. We're actually taking many superheroes in, in a way that we can uh, improve um, the, the amount of energy that we store, the lifetime of a battery as well, because as I mentioned before, the current technology uh, suffers of the fact that when you buy a battery, it lasts for a year. Uh, when you use it a few times already, then you start needing the plug continuously, effectively. Um, so that is actually a, a big crucial problem that we are trying to resolve. So, you know, the, picking different materials, you are actually capable of uh, giving the ultimate device the, the properties that you want. So what kind of devices really are going to come out of this? I mean, when, when we look towards storing, say, the output of a, a, a wind tower, um, are we going to see these sort of semi-football-sized graphene batteries or are we going to see things that look entirely different? Well, actually, the, the, the materials that we are using and the batteries that we are developing are transparent, ultra-thin, and even printable. That you can be, you, you'll be able to print them in any particular surface that you like, even on the screen of a phone. So the, the, the type of energy storage that we are currently uh, targeting is, of course, the energy storage needed for a portable device. Nevertheless, uh, putting uh, more devices in series or in parallel, you're actually capable of doubling up, tri tripling the, the energy uh, storage performance. So, in fact, you will be able to, uh, rather than needing a, a battery of uh, having an area of County Dublin, uh, you would end up with um, a normal room of a battery that can be folded in itself, for example. Right, so we're looking at factors and factors of storage as opposed to, you know, double, triple. It's, uh, we're looking at squares and, and cubes. Absolutely, that's, the, well, that's what we're talking about. One of the points that you raised there is very interesting, is seeing as graphene is, is translucent, that we could effectively end up with battery, batteries that are phone screens. Oh, indeed. In fact, we can, we can have a fully assembled battery uh, on a screen, in fact. Uh, you can, we are using printing technology, inkjet printing. So we are making inks out of uh, 2D materials, uh, these ultra-thin materials, and we can print this ink on any particular surface, even on a screen of a phone. So when we're looking at sort of the manufacturing process behind developing graphene and, and other substances, uh, when you mention inkjet printing, um, how big a, a leap is it for hardware partners, for example? I mean, 
for just taking an, an example out of thin air, how, how does one go about pro- uh, approaching Epson or HP and saying, look, we want to produce graphene, for example. Uh, it's actually very similar to what you're using in your inkjet. Can we just can you modify this ever so slightly? Or are you looking at sort of rebuilding printers from the ground up? No, no, these printers are already in the market and we are using printers that are off the shelf almost. Uh, in fact, within Amber, we have partnered already with HP, for example, the company that you, you mentioned, and uh, we've been using standard printers pretty much. Uh, so you actually do not look into revolutionizing the, the hardware needed to, uh, to process these materials. We're thinking about very simple methodologies yet to produce the materials in the first place and using the materials for making devices. And the nature of the industry partners that you're bringing in at Amber, I mean, is, is there such a thing as big lithium ion that, you know, the, the likes of Duracell or whatever, that they're not interested? Or, in, you know, in the same way that the oil companies are, are off to one side looking at renewables as a way to future-proof themselves, is a similar movement happening? Well, it is actually. Amber, we have several different partnerships with industry. And, well, most of them look at the the very long-term challenge, in fact. Um, So we've partnered in the past with uh, Hello Packard, for example, in trying to use um, their technology to to being able to process our materials. Uh, We're partnered with um, Bell Labs Nokia uh, to, um, to... improve the performance of these devices, but actually looking at the very, very long-term challenge, not at the minimal increment uh, on, on the current performance. So um, it depends. We, we, As I said, we, we partner with, with several um, industries. Uh, their goals is different, of course, uh, but overall I think they are fairly aware of the challenges that we're facing and they all want to be first. And that was Valeria Nicolissi speaking with Niall Kitson. Niall is uh, still with us. Just before we go, what's our uh, one more thing? The one story that's on the website we couldn't squeeze into the show. Yeah, well, Microsoft took the lid off um, Project Scorpio. We now know that Apple's Project Titan is uh, also a real thing. And uh, if you don't know what Project Titan is, well, maybe you should go read the website and find out. Absolutely. You get more on Titan and, of course, all the world and Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.